0: And now the show that liberals love to hate, hosted by the man that's easy to hate, Randall Terry.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, our mission is to provoke, what do they call it, I think it's called toxic masculinity. This is a appropriate <laughs> for men. Yeah. We intend to inject steel into your spine, testosterone into your scrotum. And if you, by any chance, have a pair of mammary glands or a uterus, this program is not for you. So be forewarned, if you're sneaking in, ladies, this program ain't for you. It's for men. And we're our mission is to find those guys who, when they put on the jock strap, they're micromanaging. Because we want to help them to get out of that place where they have been castrated, eviscerated, emasculated, and bring back the hero, the guy who rides it on the white horse, Saves the day and saves the girl. And on the way in, he talks trash with his buddies. Harley, let's talk
0: some trash. All right, what do you have today to talk about, Randall? I know you I got, got a lot of stuff on your mind.
1: i got Joey, our president. You, what do you want to Vietnam? start with? What? Yeah. What? Did, did you see Biden in Vietnam in the, in, in that press conference? Yeah. I was watching it live. I've like, grown
0: oh, accustomed to it.
1: You know, it's, it's are actually, you not a? Are you not a
0: used to this yet? Are you not accustomed to it? Honey, get the popcorn. He said right there. Get the He said before right he time. was even finished. It, it's it's time to go to bed. He said. I'm going to bed. I don't know about you, but I'm going to bed. What if, he said that in front of all of them? Did you
1: see the woman who was the press secretary literally grab him and cut him off? Can you imagine any president? <laughs> I don't care if I like him or hate him. Can you imagine Reagan or Clinton? Or Obama, or any of these people, say, "Mr. President, we're done. It's time for yeah, your right. Jello pack, Mr. President. We've got a smoothie in the other room for you with ice cream, and we want you to. It's time for Betty, bye, Joey. Joey, it's time for bed. Jill is in there with a little surprise for you."
0: <laughs> I doubt that.
1: I said it was Luke.
0: Huh. We don't. Um, he he's talking. And then the music starts to... Well, she starts talking over him. And then the music starts to play. Then somebody yelled from the crowd and asked him a question. He just couldn't resist. He goes back, he starts talking, the mic's not on. It comes up, you hear a little bit of what he said. And then he he wanders off to this, you know, nighty-night music. Shuffling. He shuffles now, you know.
1: I know, he's afraid of
0: And did you see when he was in... Did you see him kiss the memorial for John McCain? No. And at home, Lindsey Graham was going, lucky. <laughs> you didn't see that? No. Yeah. The, the Blarney There's some stone kind of wanted. little headstone.
1: If you ever get to the Blarney Stone, don't kiss it. Because the locals pee on it. I was told that by nice. somebody when I, when I went to Ireland and I went to the Blarney Stone. They're like, yeah, yeah, I know it's a tradition for you Americans to kiss the Blarney Stone. Don't do that. The staff pisses on it every night. Don't do that. I'm
0: just Yeah, that's you. like when you're mad at your wife and you just dunk her toothbrush down in the toilet and stick it back where it goes.
1: Excuse me? What did, what did you just say?
0: I said when you're mad at your wife, you take her toothbrush, you stab it down in the toilet water, and then you put it back where it belongs.
1: I'm so speechless right now. Ladies and
0: gentlemen. <laughs> I- you're such a wuss.
1: No, I, there's a so wuss. many things Man, that I uh, want to say on this program, but that was, that was over the edge for me. And I live over the edge. I live ten feet out over the cliff, dangling. And you talk that shit? No, that's the, wrong. That's just wrong.
0: When I, the and then and then the next day, when she tries to kiss you, you go. I'm really not in the mood for that, honey. I'm just <laughs> Please don't kiss me. Don't kiss me. Just, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll kiss you if you go brush your teeth first. <laughs> Ah uh, yeah, with this yeah.
1: new toothbrush. All right, guns in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. You're a neighbor down there. You got you're you're a close yeah. neighbor with uh, New Mexico. What's up with the governor telling people they can't? Oh, they they suddenly she's going to suspend for thirty days their constitutional right. They cannot have a gun exposed to broad daylight.
0: Many years ago in the 1980s, Gary North wrote a book called "Government by Emergency." You remember that? Yes. Yes, yes. government by emergency. Now, we didn't take it real serious then, but now we're starting to see a lot of it. And so if you can declare one emergency, you can declare another one. We've already, they broke the glass. They broke the glass with COVID. You know Everything calling? was off the... Did you? Did
1: she said that she's calling it a health emergency.
0: Yeah, right. They've tried to put gun crimes or gun violence in health for years. And people go, no, that's not about health. Just like when they have the the gun crime statistics, and they put gun suicides in there with the gun crimes, that shouldn't belong in there either. They fudge on a lot of this stuff to get the get the numbers they want.
1: Um, have you do, do you think that they're trying to provoke an incident? Because as I was watching it yesterday, I was watching the B roll. They had all these guys that were in a like a little town square, and they're all brandishing their long arms and their you know, their hand handguns and their pistols. And I thought right. she wants somebody, some loose cannon to actually deliberately or accidentally discharge their weapon and for someone to get hurt so that she can really right. bear in on it. Do you think that they're trying to promote right. that?
0: I think they are. I think they want to uh, put down an, a genuine insurrection and it could break out any place. It could be any place and they could do them all over the place. You could have lots of little brush fires you put out. And uh, people get the message. In fact, if well, you did them it little right. by little, each state, yeah, each state, then people you, start you, to you uh, men that are pull watching, back.
1: You men that are watching this, please understand something. If you're in a bar fight, if you want to, if you want to create a stink, if you want to do something that gets everyone's attention, what do you do? You walk into the bar and you punch the biggest guy in the face. That's how you yeah. you, you draw the line. You let me let me give a different illustration. Let me do it from the bad guy's perspective. They are using what's going on in D.C. right now with the trial of these pro-lifers as a, uh, a warning shot to everybody who wants to protest against the killing of babies or protest against government tyranny. This godless bitch at, who's sitting on the uh, on the bench there, the KKK woman, Colleen Collier Killer, I can't remember her name, but she... She literally wagged her finger at the at the people in the courtroom yesterday and said, if I hear anything from any of you, you're going to leave here and go to jail for contempt of court. I mean, she's crazy. She will not let the people there talk about why they're on trial, trying to save babies from this late term abortionist. So this trial is a show trial and they want people Mm -hmm. to be afraid. They want us to see what happens to different people and say, oh, Oh, okay. I'll I'll step and fetch. I won't get out of line. I'll I'll be good. Toby, be good, Massa. That's what they want from us. They want to scare us into silence and to submission. So my urging to you men who are watching right now, when you see it happening, whoever it is that's being picked on, that's exactly the place that you need to jump in and be as vocal as you can. If you can hold a protest, if you can hold a sign, if you can... Have a press conference if you can talk about it at the water cooler at lunch. Whatever it is, the place you see them picking on someone, that's the place you need to fight.
0: Right. Exactly. You can't just stand by and watch that kind of stuff. You know the story about the monkeys in the cage and the pole and banana on top, right?
1: No. Is there there monkeys throwing poop? Because monkeys throw poop, and I'm already interested in
0: that. No. Right. You know how many monkeys it takes to change a light bulb? Three. One to change the bulb, two to throw scat at each other. So this story about the monkeys in the cage, there's a a pole in the middle of the cage, and they put a bunch of bananas at the top of the the pole, and uh, the monkeys see them, and every time the monkeys start up the pole, they spray them down, they hose them down with like a fireman's hose. And so they'll wait a little while. They put another monkey in, and now the new monkey spots it, and he starts up the pole and the other monkeys start to pull him down. You don't want to do that. And over time, they take, all the, they take all the original monkeys out. Now you have all new monkeys. None of them ever saw the water hose, but every time they start to go up the pole, the other ones pull that monkey back down. They don't even know why they're doing it anymore. I think that we are so accustomed to just reading in the news that somebody's being treated wrong by our court system Uh, The FBI targets somebody, the justice system targets somebody, and we somehow think that's the way it's supposed to be, especially if you're a conservative. If you're a pro-life Christian conservative, then you're just supposed to take it on the chin. And for a long time, Christians were told that they were supposed to do that. You know, suffering is redemptive.
1: Well, that's the difficulty. Suffering is redemptive. (laughs) It is, it is. It's not just a Catholic doctrine. It's a biblical but doctrine. But that's
0: not necessarily suffering. That's not redemptive suffering, I don't think, because here's why. If I don't stand up to these bastards, they're going to do it to somebody else weaker, somebody else who doesn't deserve it, and it's only going to get worse. So the, the reason I stand up to them is not not just because of the injustice today. It's for the people that will come after me, the, the monkeys that are looking at the pole, not even knowing why we don't go up to get the bananas. I've got to protect them. I've got to fight back, best way I can.
1: I agree. I'm going to say this, and then we'll move on. When I I was a young man, maybe 89, and I'm I'm preaching somewhere, and by that time I was <laughs> pretty well known, and it hit me. I'm sitting in
0: this. You weren't room. 89. It was in 1989. Yeah, it was in 89. It was in 1989. It was a while. I know, but you said when I was a young man, my young man, maybe 89, and I'm looking at him going, he doesn't look a day over 87 to me. So I didn't know where you were going with it. I'm going, I'm using a lot of
1: Kylie Health and Nutrition products. Joey Costello is one of my best friends. He provides me there you with go, a,
0: little ad thrown a green in.
1: drink. So anyway, <laughs> I've been listening to someone preach and it hit me. Because I've, up to that point, I had said many times, I'm willing to die for freedom. I'm willing to die for freedom. I'm willing to die to end abortion. I'm willing to be killed to stop this Holocaust. I'm willing to die for freedom. And then I thought, wait, no, stop. That's not, that's not the big challenge. The big challenge, am I, or other men in this room, or our sons, are we willing to kill for freedom? And that's where, for me, when I when I started thinking about the American Revolution in that light, that these were British men and fighting British men, this was a civil war. Mm-hmm. They were killing men who they knew They were killing fellow British citizens, leaving orphans and widows behind. It made me nauseous. I mean, I, you know, my credentials of being out there, balls to the wall, are pretty well known. But it's one thing for me to walk into the lines then and say, I'm ready to get eaten. It's another thing for me to go and say, now let's go and off the bad guys. Even the ones in a a just war that deserve to die. You know, anyway. Your thoughts on that, Harley? I went. I went down a rabbit trail that's probably ill-advised. Yeah. Ill-advised.
0: Uh, I. It's a good question, and it's a lot of times, and it goes back to what we were just talking about anyway. Because we think about it one way until somebody says it another way. Because if you say to yourself, uh, "Am I willing to die for freedom?" Until you said, "Am I willing to kill for freedom?" That turns it on its head. We get so used to hearing the same question over and over again. We get satisfied with our answer. Occasionally we re-examine ourselves and say, am I really willing to do that, to die for freedom? If you die, you have become a martyr, but you haven't helped the people that need you to help them escape from the tyranny. And the founding fathers took up their muskets and helped people escape from the tyranny because they killed the bad guys.
1: Yeah, that's some, that's some frightening shit right there. That's some frightening shit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, will it come to that is what people keep asking me. And are they going to provoke us? I think they keep trying to provoke us. You talked about the lady, uh, the governor in New Mexico. All right. Um, is she trying to provoke people? You said, is she hoping that somebody will accidentally get shot or something? Or is she trying to provoke people? Yeah. I, I keep wondering uh, they, they keep prodding you know poking the ant bed. Do they, they want this? Walk. I think kind of think they do. They keep poking the ant bed. I kind of think that they want us to respond with violence and yet we're very tolerant people in America. We're not prone to violence. We only fight when it's necessary. And, and it's sickening to us the thought that we would harm another American.
1: Right, that's the, that's the, Unless you're robbing I read them, of course. I read I read a story that's... the other day. I think it was in the Atlantic. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was in the Atlantic. And it was this really in-depth story about the people that are gravitating to Montana. Rich people, thinkers, philosophers, authors, uh, like buying up land and then having these meetings where they discuss how and when they will oppose government tyranny how they will survive if the web goes down or, you know, I mean, just like preppers, but not lunatic fringe preppers, big meetings, serious, thoughtful people. No, I'm a lunatic prepper, but one of them in the, in the, um, in the article, a big shot said until you are willing to kill a federal officer, you're, you're fronting, you're pretending. And I yeah. thought, shit, I mean, but he put it, you know, well, that's the that kind guy? of stuff
0: that gets you uh, on the list.
1: What's that guy's name right? that was the rancher and him and his sons, it was the Mormon dude who they pushed back
0: oh, Yeah. a
1: few years ago.
0: Mm, yeah, I can Clyde, almost think of
1: Clive, it. What was his name? And, and, and they, did you, yeah, did that, you, I think that's right. Did you ever see the footage of the federal officers pulling up and getting out of their car and then realizing that they were surrounded by armed people that were had weapons drawn on them, up on the bridge, and then they they crawled back into their car and they backed out. Ruby Ridge, no, not Ruby Ridge. No, no, no.
0: Uh, Clive Bundy. Yes. Clive Bundy. You.
1: Yes. That was one of the. Now most- he ended up dying,
0: and his son survived, right?
1: I don't think that the father died.
0: Uh, somebody died there. Oh, their friend runs around the truck and he got shot. Uh, I can see the whole thing, the video in my mind. But you're right. If the if the intimidation factor is absent, they suddenly... And, and we were talking about it uh, before we went on. Eric Adams is a good example of it. Right now, he's whining, he's crying, he's carrying wait, on, he's wait, slinging no, no, snot. It's tip, the worst... I want to tip my hat to
1: Eric. Oh, there's my new book. It's yeah? not a hat. Let's not talk about Eric. Let's talk about my new book. Anyway... <laughs>
0: Um, there we go. He No. <laughs> That's the second commercial for those keeping count. He's called the
1: Black Trump. I love it. This guy stump Now, now by the way, he's called the Black Trump by people at MSNBC. So, he pissed somebody off so severely at MSNBC because of him wanting to stand against the illegal immigrants that they're mocking him. A fellow left-winger is mocking him, calling him a Black Trump. Go ahead, give us the overview.
0: Okay, my, my take on it is this, that they, that most liberals have uh, everything tilted in their direction. They, uh, it, they're like the House. You know, the default position in media is left. And so they always protect their own. So they don't know how to actually look, govern. They don't know actually how to figure out a problem. They never have to do it. So now Eric Adams is faced with something like this like uh, all the new immigrants that were dumped at his bus stations. And he's freaking out. He doesn't know what to do. If he had any hair, he'd be pulling it out. So that goes back to the guys that pulled up on the BLM land. They're going to be all tough. They're going to roll in and they're going to be the badass. but when they can't be, when they don't have the deck stacked in their favor, they recoil. And that Eric Adams is a, is an example of it in one field. Those agents pulling up there that way is another example of it in another field. If these people, they're not like we are, especially like Christians are. We live in two worlds anyway, and we always have the deck stacked against us as conservatives. So we have to think. They're not accustomed to knowing how to think. Now, they know how to scheme, but they don't know how to think. And they and logic is a foreign language to them.
1: <laughs> That's was a great line with that line i think we close harley i'm going to give it to you first to give some challenging word to men specifically to men again ladies this is program if there's well, any of you who snuck in under the wire or under the you know under the radar this program is not for you this is a program here. It's for the men for <laughs> the men and i want you to know that sometimes we have the man boobs but we are still the men <laughs> joe and me that's right Joseph
0: and uh, uh, me yesterday. hey can I you wait can you get those uh, trans uh, doctors to scoop out the man boobs?
1: I don't know.
0: Never mind. Forget I mention it. No, no. Here's I what can't. I want to say to men. <laughs> now he's thinking get the home kit. Get the home kit. Get the home kit. That's what I want. 1995. Remove the moobs. Okay, so many, many years ago, Randall sent me to Nebraska. He says, This is not a gig for me, this is a gig for Harley. So I go to Nebraska. What was our, who was our friend's name that ran your show in, in Nebraska? Paul Green. Oh, Paul Green. Oh, yeah,
1: what a sweetheart. What
0: a great, great guy. 600 a.m. On the, on the Wonderful ASL man.
1: That, that station went yeah. forever. I mean, literally. Oh, that, yeah. So
0: you can well, Nebraska's this, flat. Because of all the iron in the dirt and because yeah. it
1: was so flat. Okay, go ahead.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. So um, I went and I stayed. The It was Super Bowl weekend. Cowboys playing the uh, Chiefs and all that. Uh, we were in his basement, watched the game. Salt of the earth people. I've never heard before. Um, I heard his son and his dad having a, a argument about whether case tractors or John Deere were better. And I thought, I don't know where I'm at, but that's not a thing I've ever thought about. So, wonderful salt of the earth folks. And I went to a church and I spoke to a group of men. Now, these men were just Anxious to do something. Didn't know what to do. And I should, I've regretted it all since then. I said, you got to, yeah, I really kind of laid a guilt trip on them. You guys got to get out there and you got to do these things and this stuff. And I could see that they became crestfallen because these guys are farmers. They're up from, from sun up till sunset. They're working all the time hard. They don't have a lot of extra time. They didn't have a lot of extra time to, to, uh, to put toward the effort of changing society and changing culture. They lived in a place where the culture was pretty good, too. But they wanted to just be Christian men standing as Christian men. They were already doing that, really. But this was all about pro-life work and being out at the abortion mill and uh, trying to do something there. And I think I laid it on a little too heavy. And since then, remembering their faces that day, I've tried to tell people you, you grow where you're planted. You do what it is that you can do. What is on your heart? Don't let somebody else select for you. What your field is going to be. If your field is going to be that you're going to fight taxation, do it. If your field is going to be that you're going to fight for the unborn, do it. If you're going to fight for the second amendment, do it. Don't try to do all of them. Don't try to do too much of it. Your family's the first priority and, uh, Make sure that your relationship with God is good and it doesn't get muddled along the way and doesn't suffer. So if enough of us do that, Randall, if every one of us does that, then we would be a lot better off than just having these superstars rise up and everybody follows them, listens to their speeches, buys their books and all that stuff.
1: I so agree with that. The superstar thing. Oh, the flavor of the week. Who's got the new song that browbeats the government? All of these things. I want to close with this, the blessing of anger, the men of Jabesh Gilead, first Samuel chapter 11, they were told by some foreign power, we're going to come in there and we're going to take over the city. And they said, whoa, 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 wait, no. And they, they said, let us see if somebody will come and save us. And the pagans said, okay, we'll give you one week. But if no one comes, we're going to cut out the right eye of every man. Every every male is going to have his right eye cut out. Now that was because you you know you have to have two eyes for depth perception, and you also have to have your right eye to fight because they were right-handed men predominantly, and to swing a sword you got to have that right hand field of vision. So to gouge out the right eye Mm -hmm. of everybody would have said they said we're going to make you slaves. So rather than say no hell no we're going to fight you we'd rather die than be the pagan slaves they said. Okay, let us send out a message and see if anyone comes to rescue us. (laughs) So they send out a message and people are wringing their hands, except for Saul, the guy who became king before King David. The scripture says the spirit of God came upon him and he became angry. He was filled with rage and he took uh, that yoke of oxen and he hacked it and hacked it and hacked it. And then said, take these hunks of flesh throughout the land of Israel and say, thus shall it be done to anyone's oxen who does not come to the help of Jabesh Gilead. (laughs) So imagine imagine the messengers going town to town. (laughs) Hey, I see a messenger coming. And he he runs in, what's your message? And he holds out this hunk of flesh and blood and oxen hair and it's probably covered with sand and it stinks. Uh, Saul says you're supposed to come to Jabesh Gilead or... Some bad's going to happen to your ox like this. But it was it was the anger when he heard of the injustice, he became angry and then he fought the injustice. So I want you to know, man, that there, you know, the Bible says, be angry, but do not sin. So the question Uh with our anger is, is it self-serving? Is it about oh, my feelings were hurt? Or is it an anger because we see a grave injustice that must be stopped? I'm leaving that with you. There are people that say we should never be angry, and they are absolutely wrong. Jesus was angry when they tried to keep little children from him. The Bible says he was indignant. He was filled with rage. There is a time for righteous anger, and it is a great propellant. It is a terrifying master, but it is a great propellant in the pursuit of justice. So with that, Harley, I thank you for another episode of WHAM. We are white, heterosexual, angry men. Woo-hoo. I just gave a little sermon on anger. <laughs> I feel good about the world, Harley.
0: I like that. I like that sermon on anger. You, you're gonna, if you're not angry about some of the things that are happening right now, something's wrong with you.
1: Well said. Fire the music, Alex. We'll pretend that we're professional broadcasters. It's been a delight to be with you, friends. I'm Randall Terry, my co-host down in Texas. He's the Texas rebel with a brain that people envy. Harley, David Balloon. Thank you, Harley. Till next time,
0: folks.